Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, The Legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today we are talking about The Legend of Korra, Season 1, Episodes 11 and 12, Skeletons in the Closet, and Endgame. So this is the end of Book 1, Air, and uh, the end of the originally planned arc for the Korra, and I have questions about that. No, Normally, listeners, as you know, I throw it to Allison because this is her first time watching everything. But I have to throw it to Noel this time because, Noel, when did they find out that the show was being renewed? Because if this was the original ending they envisioned thinking it would be the end of the show, I have many questions. And if this was the ending they did because, oh, we're going to come back. Okay, so let's, we'll, let's do this. That makes a lot more sense to me. So... Can you give us some info on the timeline here? Um, so I'm actually trying to figure that out. Um, let's see here. Well, Noel, while you're checking the dates, yeah. two things. Well, I guess it's all one big thing. Um, Kate, it's great that you didn't toss it to me because I had planned to do exactly the same thing uh, and just immediately ask Noel what exactly the timeline was on this to try to understand some of the choices, especially in like the final 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um but for the exact opposite reason, because it actually only makes sense to me when you think about it in terms of a series finale and not a season finale. Um, yeah. So I'm very, I'm very interested to hear how our reactions are so similar and yet so different. Okay. Well, do you have an answer for us yet, Noel? Or shall we keep no, going? No, because the Wayback Machine is going real slow. Okay. Well, um, then... So, then yeah. let's dive. We're, we'll dive in with it. So the, the thing with that I have with this is these episodes. I didn't care much for skeletons in the closet because it's just exposition dump, and it's not interesting enough for me. And also, it like I think I I just was watching this going. If you had more time and you could do this better, I would be so much more invested in this. But that's not what's happening. And so it just feels very contrived, just like the previous flashback did, where it was just like, we don't have time to set this up. So Cora goes into a platinum box and is immediately able to connect with Aang. So there's that element of it. Um, and then the finale, I just, I just wanted more time with a lot of things. Like the notion of like, like this being a season finale makes as opposed to series finale makes sense for me with the Mako stuff. Like, cause I, it didn't feel like there was any real like sense of triumph or like, like this, like it didn't really make sense to me. Like the, the both where Mako was at and where Korra was at in responding to Mako. They, I felt like they dropped the ball with Asami. Like there should have been a scene with Mako and Asami that, that we never got. There should have been more Bolin. There should have been like, there's so many things that I felt like should have happened if this was the end, if you, it was like the last time you were ever going to see these characters and we don't have Cora. I mean, I love that her parents are there. Her parents needed to be there, but we don't have Cora getting ready to re like heal all the people who have had their bending taken from them in Republic city. And instead we just have her heal, um, uh, Lynn and the rest is implied. That's really unsatisfying to me. Also the, <laughs> Poof, you're fine now. <laughs> One line from Aang um, makes sense if, you know, we're going to have more seasons to explore her connection to Aang and the other avatars. And if it's the, the only time we're ever going to see it, it just feels too, 
I mean, it is deus ex machina, but it feels too convenient and tidy. So, like, I need more moments in that scene if it's the only time we're going to see Cor interact with Aang. You know what I mean? So that's sort of where I'm coming from. Allison, where are you coming from with it? You know, it's interesting because our response was basically exactly the same. It's just we left to the opposite conclusions. Uh And for me, all of my... I agree with everything that you said except for the conclusion you draw Uh because it felt to me as though they ran out of time. So they had to do the big things and left all the interesting things on the table. Not all the interesting things, but many, many very interesting, key, fundamental things on the table. And it's a decision that only makes sense to me if somehow, if their episode order changed in some way, or maybe they just thought that they were going to be able to be... um, more efficient in other places or something, but at some point in breaking the season, they wound up with a bunch of episodes in which they're leaving like all of the protein behind. Um, because it felt like, oh crap, we're at the, the series finale. We better do this. We better just get to like, poof, Cora has her powers back. And yeah, you just have to assume that Cora is get, restoring everyone else's bending. And bam, she's an airbender and that's it. She now has no problem bending air and reaching that part of her power. And whoa, they love each other. It doesn't matter. They've only known each other for five minutes. And this seems is supposed to be our happy ending. And all of these things, oh, like the baby is fine. No problem here. Everything's a okay. Um, it seems to only make sense to me if the option is leaving everything unfinished. If the option is the show stops and all of there and there's a bunch of runway left and we just don't even get to the end point of the plot while leaving behind all of the meat and potatoes. Um, but either way, <laughs> very unsatisfying. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I would rather have been left wanting by the end of this season than to wonder where they're going to go next because it sure feels like a something that's supposed to be final to me. Interesting. Noel, how did it feel to you as you revisited? Basically the same as it did when I watched it. Like, I agree with both of you. Um, I've It definitely, it's conceived of as the end of the story, period. No, nothing else um like it, it even ends with tenzin saying avatar core so acknowledging her as the avatar that's that's the end and like i like i responded really poorly to the whole Aang just gives her back her bending thing um because it was just like no that's nothing means anything anymore basically um and that was really really frustrating um for me um even though it makes sense in the fact that if you can take it away, you can give it back. Yeah. Um, so I mean, like, I called that yesterday. Yeah. It's not a, an impressive feat. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where I'm just like, Meh, type of thing. And then everything with Allison's point about they love each other. They've the timeline for it gets a little squishy. Um, but also it's just like, why, why do you love each other? I mean, I know you're 17 and 18 or whatever, but yeah, no. Um, 
And Marcus actually leads up to a question of, I was wondering if the next book would have been her journey to get her bending back before Aang restored it. Yes. See, that would have been an interesting book too. Of what does it mean to be the Avatar without the four, without three of the four elements, basically? And how do I think about myself and position myself as the Avatar if I don't have command of those elements initially? Um, and that was like my big thing of this would have been a great story to tell had they known that they were going to do it. Um, so to answer like the question about timeline and everything. Um, so I don't know when they got the order for book two. Um, cause I can't find that. Um, but they got the order for books three and four. Um, uh, it was announced anyway on July 11th, 2012, which is a number of months before the show actually aired, <laughs> like over a year before the show actually aired, I think. Okay. Um, no, those are the region. That's the, that's the Blu-ray release. Give me the dates, not the years. There we go. Yeah, so it was right at the end of season one ending. Like, they got the orders for books three and four, basically. Um, so they knew that they had 52 episodes, basically, by the time this ended. And at well, least. Well, by the time it stopped, finished airing? Yeah, by the time book one had finished airing, yeah. they announced that they were going to do books three and four, basically. Um, like, right, at, right before Comic Con that year. Okay. Um, so like, it's all a little timeline here. It's also like a little squishy. Like they probably knew before the renewal came, was announced, um, since the renewal was announced to coincide with Comic-Con. Um, but yeah, it's still like not great from like a production standpoint because book one was in the can probably, or at the very least could not have major changes done without significantly delaying it. Um, so it's, it's not the best way to work through i think the series finale which is an exposition dump in for the first half of it and then is good action for the most part but then we also spend a lot of time with iroh this guy we don't know yeah and has no personality has no personality and just getting dealing with these planes like we have boomy on frame for five seconds i already know everything i need to know about boomy from his one scene and tenzin's reaction to boomy showing up mm-hmm. um but yeah, Iroh just doesn't have anything, but he's there for like, a, he gets a whole set piece. Yeah. Um, so it's just a big, like, weird amalgamation of tying up plot points, making sure that you're not ending on a down note for what was supposed to be a one season run. And like little bits of like, fan service type stuff like with Boomy showing up with like Iroh getting a big set piece and this kind of stuff. So it's not great, but at the same time, you know what? We get that first, we get that perspective shot of Tarlock looking at the equalist gloves going, yeah, no, I'm going to do it and grabbing it and then putting it on. And you're just like, that's a really good shot. I don't want to give that away. I want to <laughs> keep that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dark and depressing, but I want to keep it. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. And still how I, it's how I felt about it in 2012. And it's how I feel about it now. Yeah. Um, uh, Marcus says it, it would have worked better. Meaning the, the plot reveals and everything. If Tarlock and Aman were working together to escalate the situation from both sides, especially given that they were brothers, such a strong agree. I agree so strongly. The notion that he didn't think Oh, like he didn't connect that Amon could be his long lost brother who is like the only other bender he's ever met who's anywhere near as powerful as him. Like, 
Especially when people started taking away abilities and you know your brother was obsessed with this idea of, like, being stronger than the Avatar. Like, ugh, I don't know. I, I I had forgotten that that Tarlock didn't know. I, like, I, cause, like, oh, I had, yeah. I, like, I knew, you know, like, I remember that they were, like, I, I had remembered that they were in cahoots, even though they weren't. <laughs> Allison, how did that reveal go for you? Yeah, I agree with you and with Marcus. I think... Whether they were working together or on opposing sides or not, the story immediately becomes more interesting if one or both of them know about the connection. Um, And I will say in the context of Avatar The Last Airbender, there's something interesting to this story, particularly if, if... if we had not had to rush through at least half a season, if not more worth of story in order to get to the ending, uh, because I'm sure we would have gotten an entire episode for just this, right? We've seen them do that before. I was like, Oh, okay. This is where they would have inserted an entire episode for these characters. Um, And if that had happened, it still would have been more interesting if one or both of them had known so that we were able to sort of sit in that tension and think about, um, what this all means because the show has so prepared us to think about um, inherited trauma and the cycle of abuse um, and the the effect that violence can have on everyone, but particularly on children. So um, what it's like to cause pain for others. And we saw a lot of this stuff with the Zuko storyline. So like, it really makes sense that they would explore that again. It's just that it's like, Oh, surprise, here is the twist that we will not care about you having an emotional connection to right up until the scene that Noel references. Um, So whether they are working together toward the same end or are catching an entire city and, and the entire world up in what is essentially a battle of wills between two wounded brothers of extraordinary ability. Um, either way, that's more interesting than whoops. What a coincidence. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yes, there's this like connection that the dad's ha- dad has to Republic city. So it's not just like, Oh, it just so happened. Like, they both went to Republic City very intent on taking it over in such, you know, very different ways. But it just, it, you know, as I was watching this, I just kept thinking, how did the people who, I mean, some of the creative team, but who so elegantly paced such, the, like, longer stretches of Avatar break this and decide on this structure and plotting because it's like the, and I really thought the beginning of the season was well paced getting to know everybody and then it's just like it, it it's that feeling you get when you watch a show that you know pitches with we've got the first five seasons planned and then or, or like um the best example is Babylon 5 right where they had a five season plan and then they got canceled and so they had to wrap it up in three episodes and then they got surprise renewed so then they had to unwrap it and that like and Marcus shots out Rome season two, like where they're doing what they're doing. And then something happens where they have to all of a sudden jam on the accelerator and all of the craft is damaged by that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Everything just, yeah. I don't, I don't have anything else to add. Like that's just exactly what happens um, with a little bit more research. Um <laughs> Nickelodeon ordered the episodes in early 2011 uh, for the second book. Um, 
for what would become book two um, so that they could have a 26 episode season. Um, and book two had finished, had finished writing and was in the process of being storyboarded um, in June, 2012, um, which is around the time when book one wrapped airing. Um, so it's all really kind of squishy, but Nickelodeon wanted more episodes, like probably halfway through production of, um, book one, but halfway through production of something like this means everything was probably at least already written and storyboarded and just waiting to be animated. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that I think actually does work that is rushed, but I think in just a couple different lines of dialogue would have done a lot of heavy lifting for it was Cora airbending and this notion that he wasn't able to take away her airbending because she hadn't gotten in touch with it yet. That for me really works. And so like, like it's the idea of he's closing off the channels in her energy but that channel hasn't been established yet. It's the potential for it is there, but it hasn't been like solidified. So he can't block it, you know, like he can't put a dam up if there's no river yet. Um, and again, with just with a little bit more time, I think that could have been really uh, compelling. I also think for Cora, the idea that she can't access it to save herself, but she can access it to save one of her friends makes a lot of sense. So for me that like very, you know, Mark has called it very expected reveal. Um, did really land. Did that work for you, Allison, or was it too convenient? Oh, it felt a little convenient. Um, but I hope you're enjoying your called it, Marcus. I don't know. I'm having a hard time sort of separating my response last night, which was very excited because there's a lot of excitement in these episodes. Um, including Aang's appearance, including that first climactic bout of airbending. Um, and then when I revisited this morning, all of these deficiencies leapt out at me in a new way. So at the moment, I guess I'm dwelling on specifically wishing that Cor this sounds so weird to say, given how much these episodes hinge on her, but wishing more that Cor that Cora had more to do mm -hmm. um, because she just is such a reactionary creature and the things she's struggling with are so personal. And I wish that we got more of a window into that. Yeah. It's like when they're like, we're going to go. It's like, what are you going to do differently? There's no, nothing that has changed. I mean, it, it reminded me of in Avatar when they're like kind of hang, hanging out waiting for the eclipse to to pass. Because like, oh, yeah, we decided we're going to wait till after the eclipse because nothing has changed. There's no new secret strategy. So we don't have like and then the thing that changes everything is the lion turtle. Right. So yeah. like you keep waiting for something to happen that's going to shift the the dynamics and it just it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wrote about um, when this wrapped up was the fact that I think one of the major deficiencies of the season, but also one of the, like the by design major perks of the season is that it's very plot driven ultimately and ends up being very, very plot driven. And that's by design. Like they wanted when they were originally pitching it and like kind of feeling each other out, the creators and Nickelodeon, one of the things that they mentioned was wanting it to feel like 24 in terms of we get a, we get one new baddie each 
season, basically. If you want more episodes, it's going to be a new baddie each season. Um, but we're also going to really kind of push urgency and narrative. Um, and that really comes through really hard in this, in this finale in particular. Um, because a lot of what we're critiquing is the fact that all of these characters are actually really, really flat. Um, they don't change. They're not particularly dynamic. Um, Cora doesn't really come to any big realizations despite having her bending taken away because she gets it back immediately. Um, and again, that's just, they don't want to end on a bad note, but it makes every makes all the character work feel ultimately like not particularly compelling, even though we get whole episodes that are just devoted to solidifying character dynamics across the season but they don't change from where they kind of start and end everyone's still kind of in the same point of i'm jealous of mako mako's a jerk uh asami is like upset but doesn't really move in a way that makes like emotional moves in a way to like advocate for herself or like throw down a gauntlet of we need to make a decision here and instead keeps lurking around a little bit for reasons that remain unclear <laughs> within the because context she's of the in the main cast <laughs> because she's in the main cast so there's a lot of like cool i think interesting characters here but they just don't shift around the way that we're used to from this franchise at least um that growth or those like subtle tweaks in group dynamics that were really key to Last Airbender are not present here. And it can make everyone feel underdeveloped as a result. Yeah, definitely. I want to make sure we do actually say some of the things we liked because I, you know, I do think that it's so easy, especially, you know, as we sit and break it apart and talk about it, to to zone right in on the flaws because there's a bunch of them. Uh, Like... I was like giggling internally with about Prince Eric with uh, the the because you were not kidding. That's not just the look. And then he gets thrown from the boat and then Ariel, I mean, sorry, Cora has to swim down and save him and pull him up next to some driftwood. Like it is so Prince Eric. It, they like it had to be intentional, right? It had to be intentional. Um, it's just ridiculous. Like the the like and now there's spitfires. Yes. Yay. Super fun. Ridiculous. We didn't have time for it. But if you're going to do it, they did a good job with it. As Marcus has great production values. Um, the, you know, like the, the, the reveal of the water bending and the pain on the face. I like that Amon, right, had a plan for if his mask fell off or something, you know. Uh, I like that they just cut right to, yes, they did catch Tenzin and the kids. Like, they got away, but they still managed to find them and, ca- and catch them. And that the, then they didn't, they didn't have a, uh, um, they didn't stretch that out. They didn't, like, use it as, like, threatening the children, you know, um, stress, you know. They, they let them be rescued and out of danger pretty quickly. Um, Marcus says, Amon had a plan, but not if it was raining. <laughs> Just a good point. Very good yeah. point. Um, so I, I think there are some things in here that, that do work um, and that I did enjoy, certainly in the moment, if yeah. not upon reflection. Yeah, I mentioned the um, boat first person shot, which I still think is one of my favorite things in the whole like two part finale, basically, because um, it's just it's so not the show that it kind of like breaks the visual language of it. But I also really like that it puts you very firmly in Tarlock's position and then you layer in 
the very extended flashback with your cone and um, no talk um, training and everything with them, which I think is actually a really good sequence in no small part because they bring Clancy Brown in yeah. to voice your cone and Clancy Brown can make anything work. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even in an entire extended flashback um, type of thing of this guy is an asshole and we're just really going to make it clear across the board. Um, even if bloodbending still horrifying, we're going to make it more horrifying by inflicting it on wolves. Um, mm-hmm. That just looks so sad when they get bloodbent. Um, so I think that there's that flashback sequence for me also ends up working really well, even if I don't love it like structurally, because it's just a, massive amount of information that has to be given to make everything else work but it's still really good i think in terms of providing a very full sense of where tarlock and tarlock and no attack no attack no attack are coming from um and where why they made the decisions that they made to do what they're doing in Republic City. I think it all ends up working. I just structurally, I really hate it. <laughs> but that flashback, I think, is really good. Um, so that really stands out to me. Um, so much so that it, like, then just points to, like, other flaws of, like, well, Sami doesn't get nearly as much, like, development in dealing with her father issues as Tarlock and Mom do. That's that's not great. I don't like that. I, I like Sami. Uh, okay, show. All right. It's kind of how I end up feeling about it, because even though it's character development for Amon and Tarlock, it is still ultimately plot for everything else, which is why it's there, as opposed to dealing with Sato and Asami, because it's not actually plot. Sato ends up being the plot device to have biplanes, and he's about as significant as the lieutenant, that poor, poor betrayed lieutenant. (laughs) Lance Henriksen. Um, also, while we're mentioning voice actors, uh, I wonder if anybody clocked Zach Callison as one of the kids in the flashback. Um, of course, Steve in the Steven Universe. And then also, uh, I've just, I always enjoy Steven Root. So when the hobo comes back, it's like, ah, Steven Root. Yay. May you be the new Cabbage Man. Um, Allison, do you have any other thoughts about, about these episodes before we wrap up? Uh, I was similarly excited about Steven Root. Um, just, you know, always, always welcome in basically everything. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things I liked. It's rough because a lot of the things I liked, I also wish we had gotten more of. Like, I agree that the flashback is really great. It should have just been an episode of about those people. Um, I like that we didn't have to sit in terror with the airbender kids for all that long. But on the other hand, an entire episode of them dealing with the fact that they're in this situation and what they try to do to evade and how it is that this situation comes about would be fascinating. Um, So I just want more. One thing, however, that I thought there was the exact right amount of, and I think it was a real highlight, is I've done uh, quite a 180 on Bolin, um, who I think is really key to the appeal of these episodes, again, because of the way that they're using humor. The timing, uh, the spacing, the moments they're choosing really effective and a lot of that was him i mean he's like a human golden retriever Mm -hmm. and 
And it all feels so... And honestly, I feel like I have a better sense of who he is as a character after these episodes specifically than I do of a lot of the other seemingly more complex characters because everything he seems to choose to do comes from that, like, essence of human golden retriever himboness, right? Like when um, Naga saves the day again, and that's another thing I liked, lots of great stuff for Naga, um, or a few great things for Naga. When Naga saves the day again in that tank or whatever it was, um, Mecha f- sails so close to his face, um, and then there's that wonderful juicy pause, and then he says, whoa, um, that like, it just killed me. It was wonderful. It was so perfect and weird. Or in the middle of this, could have been much more intense, but intense fight scene between Asami and Sato. He says, you're a terrible father, whatever it is. I'm paraphrasing. Um, Which then, of course, gets a more serious delivery from her at the end of the scene. But it's just such an earnest, honest, genuinely funny moment in a very Sokka kind of way um, that I thought really brought some life and some color to what otherwise could have been so action heavy as to be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. It's very Andy, uh, Andy Dwyer energy. Yes, um, totally. When he has his life more together, you know, in the later seasons. Um, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) do we have any final thoughts, any other moments that we want to mention about the finale here? Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that Amon was proven to be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. Um, I think perhaps, that is a storyline that people might want to consider um, yeah. as they head to the ballot box in November. Um, yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Noel, any final thoughts? No, um, no, because all of my final thoughts are actually just about the season as a whole. So I just have to save those for tomorrow. What day is it? <laughs> yes, for tomorrow, though, I have a feeling it's going to be a short episode tomorrow. I don't know how much we're going to have to say yeah. about the season. So we'll see. We'll play it by ears. Maybe it'll be a short episode. That would be nice for one. That would be nice for you. Yeah. Be nice for me. We'll see. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe other people have more to say. Well. We'll play it by ear. Um, but that will wrap up our conversation about these last two episodes. It, I did enjoy them. Uh, I do think the peak of the season is just that little bit earlier, that stretch just a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, and, like, and it just kind of starts to fade out by the last few. Um, and, um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to what's going to come next. So... That's all I will say. Um, thank you to Marcus for hanging out with us today in the Zoom. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.